I have a calling to open our eyes and our hearts. That is my calling with my music. I think going inward instead of blaming outward. This is Measured Voices. I'm Walt Huntsman. In episode 19, I sit down with longtime Boise duo Nicole Blaze and Mo Kelly. Over the next hour or so, we'll talk about their refusal to be pigeonholed, Nicole's songwriting and how it has changed with time, Mo's amazing ability to harmonize, and how they manage to keep things fresh after 16 years. We'll also talk a bit about the changing music industry. Next, Unmeasured Voices. I'm going to be very cliche and start from the beginning. I thought about starting from the middle, but that just didn't seem to work too good. Uh, and I'll, this is one that either or both of you can tackle. Uh, did you grow up in musical families or how, what got you started in music, interested in music? It's a great question. And we are very atypical. I did not. I did not. And she did not. Correct? Mm-hmm. I played uh, a little organ by ear and later on in high school, piano by ear. And I loved to sing in choir. But other than that, we had um, very little musical background and weren't necessarily encouraged. We weren't necessarily discouraged, but right, right, was um, a priority. And my father actually has an amazing voice, and he would go and sing at some of the clubs in New Jersey, which is where I'm from. And he had like a Frank Sinatra voice, like just stellar. And actually, talent people were looking at him, but he never thought it was a viable career back then. Um, so I did see that, but they never said, "Here, play an instrument." and I, I picked up the guitar when I was eight years old, just out of my own wonderance of it. But I never had friends or adults push me to that direction. I, I kind of wished they did. I wondered where I'd be, you know, if I could have gotten a quicker jump at it. But at when, least I picked it up. When did you get serious about guitar then? I think I tried to get serious at 17, but I was floundering and looking for a good teacher. And, you know, I, I took theory and none of it made any sense and uh you know I felt uber inadequate and I'd say in my mid-20s I found um found a person who really gravitated towards me and and opened that all up and said hey you know and and that's when I started to he had his own agenda for playing out live and said hey let's do this and so he was very encouraging and that's, that's how that happened. That was probably in the, yeah, in the mid-90s. I mean, I was adamant about taking lessons. Um, I was a kung fu person, and my my uh, Forrest Lineberry taught me the most about guitar and how everything synced together and the theory worked. And so then there was a bunch of ahas happening, and in that, I met Tim Doherty, and Tim Doherty was so excited about playing, and he played with the bands before that, you know, I was a hack. I mean, I was I was chopping up chords horribly, and he'd be like, <laughs> yay, you're doing great. And I'm like, really? This, this sounds terrible. I, I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I couldn't play in time with anybody yet. I mean, I was still, you know, I was still mid-20s and was just not grooving on a, you know, playing field for me, real me and guitar chords are kind of like a ginsu knife it just <laughs> it's sliced up all over <laughs> all over the place uh, 
I mean, how, how did you gravitate toward the bass then? Great oh, question. that was like totally circumstantial. Um, I had been sitting in on their rehearsals, Tim and Nick. Nick was doing her solo thing and also played with bands and played with Timmy Doherty. And at that time, yes. Yeah, at that time, which was early 2000s. Early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I'd mm-hmm. sit in on the rehearsals and I'd, I'd hear these great <clears throat> harmony lines. So I just kind of in the outskirts belt them out. And they're like, hey, kind of that sounds good. Yeah, maybe a little more of that. Next thing I knew for my birthday, I was getting a mic stand and a microphone that year. And then (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'd uh, join them on small parts of their sets while they were playing out. Different venues up in uh, northern Idaho, Sandpoint, Idaho. And when Nicole and I relocated to Boise in uh, late 2004, um, she said, well, you know, I, I love your singing voice. I'd really like you to pick up an instrument. You can do percussion, bass whatever works best. I tried percussion really hard to do while you're singing. Mm-hmm. Um, bass is also a little challenging to sing with, but um, gravitated towards that instrument. And then Rob Hill, um, bass player extraordinaire here in Boise, um, taught me some lessons for a year or two. And uh, that's kind of how it all evolved. Yeah. In January of 2006, I started playing the bass out and singing back up. And the cool part is you already had the lyric part down, like that was in her neonet. And so when she picked up the bass, you could still sing. The fact that she could sing with learning something so new. Oh, believe me, I had the cheat sheet of notes down at my feet for the first couple of years (laughs) in bright red. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, It was a really cool little evolution. I I believe it. I I still have cheat sheets. uh, mm-hmm. And all I have to do is a shaker once in a while, so I just mm. I'm, I'm terrible at memorizing. Uh, now I took a quick look at your website and before uh, coming over, and you list uh, among the the influences uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter, Indio, Indigo Girls, Bonnie Raitt, uh, Natalie Merchant, and Janis Joplin. How would you say, or what would you say, are some of the if there are any similarities? in your music to the types of songs that they do and, and what are some big differences? I think if I had to pick one band that made the most impression on me and it was in the late eighties, it had to be the Indigo Girls hands down. And I know that we get dubbed Boise's own Indigo Girls. It's kind of funny. And the reason being is because they're so lyrically story driven. They, they, cared about the message they were delivering and I'm a real lyricist I want to know what the song says you know I'm less of a shoe up shoe up shoe up you know kind of gal that mm-hmm. um there those kinds of uh grooves are are awesome but I really gravitated towards the harmonies that these two had and the lyrics that they invoked and their music was was opening it was a it was a is a whole new landscape when I listened to the Indigo Girls. You know, I mean, Amy was like kind of a really really low voice. I didn't know if she was a girl or a guy when I first heard the music on the radio. Mm-hmm. And and Emily Sarilers has this um, really uh, pictures cue soprano y and just classical guitar background. So they were extremely talented, and I was at that age and impressionable. Really loved acoustic music. How about you? I didn't want to hog that question. Oh, you're not. 
No, I think um, similarities, uh, those types of influences are iconic women in music that have set a precedence for future generations to be strong and powerful, and their lyrics uh, tend to be in depth. So uh, that's how our music is similar, because the music that we sing really evokes emotion and, and helps, feel, helps people feel connected to the things that are most important in their life. And I think some of these ladies' music, especially for the time, did that. It, it epitomizes times in our own lives where we have some really memorable, um, wonderful memories with people and things that we, we hold dear. And um, so differences in terms yeah, of those artists. Yeah, I that too. Um, I mean, differences with the Indigo Girls, I mean, I think that... I think to in some degree some misfortune they they did go mainstream they did go big their first album was very monumental maybe their second but then I think that the mainstream caught them and then it felt like they lost a little bit of their uh, uh, authenticity in the sense of it it became a little bit more programmable each yeah, song don't you think they went a yeah. little more they went more commercial i mean whether this is the truth or just my opinion i i you know i, I think that it they became after like the whole galileo album and i think that they became more indigo girl cookie cutter trying to find a style and stay that way so they'd be you mm -hmm. know pigeonholed as most mainstream artists have to be in order to be marketed i think where our Music is completely different. It's like you can hear a song like Deep, which is a really groovy blues tune. And then she can go here, Despite the Dance, this is a really country song. And you real, you know, go listen to Keep Facing the Sun, which is a real bluegrassy, into Put Me Back Together, which is a real rock song. So, I mean, we kind of are all over the map. Yeah, and it's hard to niche that's our a, music. Yeah. It's a travesty when it comes to trying to get a label trying to get representation, mm -hmm. how do you describe your music, it, that part can be uber frustrating, but I really couldn't create it any other way. It sounds like an advantage and a disadvantage. Correct. Either. It is. Because they're, they're looking for a way to figure out how to market this, and mm -hmm. you're saying, well, I don't want to be just this. They exactly. want to sell you. Oh. Yeah, they want to sell you, and they need to have, you need to have a, you a know, niche. a niche, basically. We've been told that constantly by the the powers that be that are in the business you know anybody that's looking you know to represent are like you guys you're hard to niche <laughs> yeah. not not that i have any hopes of commercial success but i, I, I not that i'm going to put my songwriting in the same category but i i pride myself on trying to write stuff that doesn't fit mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a particular style mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because Partly, I think, because I'm still looking for mine. But uh, uh, <laughs> now, Nicole mentioned the, the harmonies of the Indigo Girls, and this was a question I was going to ask later. But this seems like a good spot for it, as you were talking about how you just sort of jumped in at that one rehearsal with harmonies. Did, have those always come easily for you, or oh, I am so grateful because I've always heard harmony, always heard harmony. That I was in choir just in uh, the last year of high school, and. Um, God, I worked so hard on the addition and I was just had my song already and I sang two lines and he's like, you're in, you're in the choir. And um, just that was the first time I really got to see what it was like to have the alto tenor 
bass parts along with soprano. I sang soprano and and that's my main lead is is to do kind of the higher lines. But um, I I consider myself very blessed that that has always come very naturally to me. And when something about Nicole's voice, um, I was just able to find that kind of, you know, that sweet spot in the middle. And, um, you know, when she's even working on a song, I'll be in another room of the house and just hear the harmony lines in my head and mm-hmm. I'll sing them really quietly not to disturb her process. But then, you know, when she's ready to play it out, I'm like, there they are. And she mm-hmm. doesn't have to say, with the exception of Lena's lullaby, that's the only time she had to say, okay, at this end part, I want you to go really high. And I'm like, I can't sing that yeah, high. She and she's didn't like, yes, think you she can. could do it. I'm like, are you kidding me? You have a perfect voice for so, this. But yeah, I, I just consider myself really blessed to have that gift. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there are times where, especially as you know, as we started, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I started to curtail my writing into what I knew her voice could do. Like I could hear her in my mm-hmm. head sing a line. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, above the rain, I could totally hear you singing that. You know, weaving those the things Kelly together. It, it is. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh! People get more requests for that, and we always roll our eyes because it's such a deep breath to take and a big ballad well, that'll blow yeah, your hair back. Totally. <laughs> this tiny little venue. They're like above the rain. We're like, oh, oh we're gonna okay, anybody that's pre- everyone move to the back. everybody that's not a Blazing <laughs> Kelly fan. I'd be like scattered to the wind because <laughs> it's a song that takes up a lot of space. Yeah. You know. Well, this this uh, is uh, seems like the perf- perfect opening to uh, share the Blaze and Kelly sound with uh, people. <laughs> so, if there's a song that uh, we could plug in, uh, you, a favorite of I mean, the above the rain, that's pretty. That's that, that would probably be a quintessential Blaze and Kelly song, and yeah. so would Life Is Beautiful. I think that that is if if we had to be niche and we had to extrapolate. The niche Blaze and Kelly songs, those two would definitely make it. Human existence 
And all that is obscure And still there's laughter And there's sorrow No one knows just what's in store for us tomorrow And there's joy And a touch of pain But the sunshine resides above the Soft and sweet, soft and sweet, as I watch you sleep. Comforting like the ocean, dreams for you to keep. Gently stir awake, in the dark she does too. Sleeping thoughts concur, and a mighty voice rings through. Don't be afraid, shut out. It's yours to pay this road of gravel. Plant some flowers as we go in our travel. So I crawl back under the blankets, shut out the light. Call on spirit to thank it for setting me right. Turn back to my lover and I plan a kiss. Just wondering where I'd be. Just wondering what I'd miss without the pain, without the laughter that carries us through the wherever after. Coming out of that song, I want to ask you, can you talk a little bit about where that song, how that song came about for you? That's a great that question. is a great question. That is the most unusual 
piece of writing, I struggled with it for probably about, I'd say between four to seven years, believe it or not. And I remember uh, talking about the Indigo Girls, I was listening to Despite Our Differences, and it was a later album from them. And I didn't like the album. You you liked it. the album. I was like, what in the heck? I are, So let me back up. I mean, I had my first album called Despite the Dance. And I thought it was pretty uncanny that they came out with this album, Despite Our Differences. I'm like, huh, despite something. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were heading to the Oregon coast. It was probably 2006. I think it's somewhere around there. Maybe. Who knows? But... um. I remember listening to one of their records and then getting annoyed because I think at that time it was really my dream to be like mainstream. Like I, I did, you know, wanted that record deal. I wanted that. And, um, and I shut the thing off and I just started humming my own stuff. And I remember, I remember just now like going back, the visual that I had was all those beautiful pine trees when you're coming from Portland to the shore of mm-hmm. Cannon Beach. Mm-hmm. I just remember that's where the song idea gave birth. So I have one road to travel, you know, do I follow the pavement or the gravel, right? And the choices that we make that define our lives and then the disappointment that can happen along the way and the line, the sunshine resides above the rain came to me, you know, like I said, all this stretched out in like a four-year process. And it's one song that wanted to be born because a lot of times I'll have these wicked downloads and awesome ideas and I might write something down, but the melody will leave me. This one song, the melody stayed with me for probably four years, I would say. And it, and it, it didn't let me go. And that's unusual. That's mm-hmm. that's unusual unless I record it. And at that time, I didn't. I wasn't into the recording device little thing that you carry around, or <laughs> or cell phones weren't the biggest thing yet either. Um, and so when I when I woke up one random evening, I think it was who knows when it was, and who cares? But I woke woke up one random evening with all this in my mind about you know what is our purpose here to do. What is my journey? What am I bringing to this world? Um, what can I give? What's the point? Like it was one of those very, you know, it, it sounds like I should have been way stoned, but I really I was totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> I was completely sober in the middle of the night. And I, I kind of have wrestled with insomnia for over like 15 years. And one of the, I was having one of those insomnia episodes. And so the song does speak to truly waking up, stepping over the dog, and, you know, miring through my muck and wondering about the paths that I've chose. And um, I completed, I finally completed the song. And I heard Mo's voice within that. And um, It's like midnight to 3 a.m., right? Yes. A three-hour stand. It was a three-hour stand. I banged it out. Written. But the song baked for a good few years I mean it 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 just didn't let me go and and then I, I finally turned into it instead of turning away from it and I don't know what that process and why we do things that way but some of them come out fast and some of them trickle out some of them you lose some some of them you review it's an interesting 
song crafting is just an interesting thing. It's such a mystery. And I still, I love that it's a mystery. It's not a formalized thing for me. Which actually gets into the next question I was going to ask, is whether you have a, a specific process when you write or, or do do most of your songs tend to come between midnight I'm, and 3 a.m.? Right, right. <laughs> I'm all over the map. I mean, like, I, I really, I love that question. And I know that, you know, I've been to songwriting camps and I know certain folks that just, like, they get up in the morning, they write the first thing, you know, they do. I think, you know, a documentary that watched with Glenn Fry, that's, you know, James, uh, uh, the other guy uh, that lived above him, Jack. Brown, Jackson, Jackson, Brown, Jackson yeah. Brown, you know, would get up and play two hours straight mm -hmm. and then come up with, and I, I really wish I could be that disciplined, like that methodical about it, but I'm so random. I could, a lot of ideas happen in the car mm -hmm. and in the shower. shower. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I'll, I'll be singing in the shower. Mm -hmm. I've, I've written the most amazing mainstream hits in the shower. <laughs> That if I had a waterproof recording device, I could have been a millionaire. <laughs> so I could have been a contender. It's, yeah. it's almost uh, sounds a little bit sort of like a uh, the river approach to songwriting. Sometimes the current's really strong, and other times there's a little bit of a drought going on. That's correct. That's, That's correct. Yeah. And it's Some like eddies along the way. And yeah, we'll put. I will. This is here's here's the process that I am methodical about when I get that tingling sensation that that's a really good idea like just the concept i have a notebook full of and a, and a file full of scrap napkins and things like that that's <laughs> true napkins are mm -hmm. a songwriter's best friend and i will <laughs> jot things down in my ugly handwriting and hope i can translate the hebrew that i've written down on a napkin of this monster idea and then Usually around this time of year, October, November, I will go through my song my song bones. I call them song bones and piece together and see what value and what worth and what might come to me. It's kind of like making a stew. You know, you put that mm -hmm. song bone in that stew and that becomes the base. And then it gets marinated, so to speak. And then the juices start flowing are we hungry right now? <laughs> and, you know, we, we, we throw our purple carrots in. We throw our things in there, um, and, and out comes a song. It, it's funny, as Mo was talking about the shower being another place where the, the, the songs come up. And uh, I remember having a conversation with uh, another songwriter, how I, I had gotten an idea in the shower, and I didn't have paper. And it, he, was, he was talking about paper towels, and I thought, well, in the shower, that's not going to work. I need waterproof soap. <laughs> you totally do. And, and all of a sudden, I had this line for a song, when the words all wash away. And so it isn't a song we do yet, but maybe one day. So yeah, you know, I, 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 see, I love that. I see what you're, where you're, you know. The, so you just kind of have to be open. You, right? That is that is it in a nutshell. If you can be the conduit for the download to come in and then try to tell the download to slow down because sometimes <laughs> it comes in so fast and then it and it tries to leave you and you're like, whoa, you know, it's like a balloon flying away and, and you're trying to bring this thing back down. The file transfer speed's faster than the... <laughs> yes, yes. And, and the hard drive faster can than this CD-ROM in my mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, when Nicola writes a song... How do you see your role in helping to, to craft 
I, I, I hesitate to say the finished product because I've had songwriters tell me that a song is never truly finished. But I mean, at some point it's finished. Sometimes enough that you got to stick a fork have, in it. You have to at least finish mm-hmm. it enough to be able to perform it. Correct. So, well, I, I've always seen my role as just I'm kind of the icing on the cake, you know, so I've always strongly believed in. Nicole's songwriting messages, the messages behind their song and the emotion and and connection that happens between people when she shares her music. And so um, having been a strong advocate and believer of her music and wanting to get it out in the world, I'm just pretty much there to support her. And like I said, I I hear the harmony lines. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work for the song, I'm totally fine taking it out. But... um, I just feel like, like again, my role is more like just a little bit of the icing on the cake, you know, just some have, accents and. Have there been songs where you've you've written something and then when you you come together to work on it, it just doesn't work for the two of you? Has that ever happened then, or? Thankfully, that, no. <laughs> thankfully, no. I mean, but not all my songs are definitely recorded. That's for sure. I well, mean, we but, still sing them out. I mean, we'll still sing them at, the at each other, which is really home. funny. <laughs> you know, pretty fun. Like some stupid sucky song. I yeah. mean, if the general public knew, they're super cheesy, how, how wackadoodle my brain yeah. can be. I mean, we just laugh. I mean, the thing that We've I learned a song about chopping vegetables. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> chocolate. Yes. I mean, <laughs> you know. I think that your support, I mean, it's really needed to, to, what she does for me is give me permission, you know, and if something sounds off or doesn't make sense and she'll, she'll say, well, what do you think about that way? And I'm like, hmm. And you know, you do the typical thing be like, you can go get your feelings hurt or you can do right. that, but then be like, hmm. or you can defend and be like, no, no, I really like it. But she gives me somebody to bounce off of and first to, to, you know, and that, and, and she's a safe person right. for me. Like she doesn't have an agenda of her own that wants to take it a direction. She can listen with a neutral ear, which yeah. is uber uber necessary yeah like i try not to give drive-by feedback i've learned that over the years it's like wrap that in bacon man you deliver that feedback it's got to be sugar-coated and wrapped in bacon wrapped in bacon i mean that's what we 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 named that term wrap that and that actually is a song idea wrap that in bacon say everything goes goes with bacon doesn't it yeah yeah they're doing it with pastries why not um (laughs) Let me ask you this then about the songwriting. How do you how do you see that your songwriting has evolved or changed in the years since the two of you started performing together? That's a great question. I think I'm an emotional writer and I love I love inspiration written songs, you know, and they just come through and you're totally inspired. And I think over the years it's been so much less about me personally and more about what I observe. Mm-hmm. in others and I think in the beginning you know in my 20s I I wrote from a sense of self more and that's kind of typical um in the way as we mature um and and my hardships I think it was very therapeutic I mean I went through really dark periods of time and and I think it was very therapeutic to get those songs out now I sit back and I watch the world and I also know a little bit more about the craft of music and how to 
put things together in a way that's important. I think it's important to understand the way a song fits together so that other people can sing it and they can share it. So in other words, if you're just lamenting on and on and on with, you know, three verses and then you get to a chorus that nobody can sing, that's not going to really go. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you've got to invoke some interest and, and I have the audience in mind, but I'm willing to tell a story. And I think story songs are important too. Everybody loves a good story. Um, so it's, you know, do I have more work to go? Sure. But I think, I think wisdom and growth and all those things have, you know, it's like a fine wine <laughs> or a fine stew in this case, you know? Well, what is it they say? I, I think I've heard it said, if, if not, I'll say it. Uh, I guess the day you stop learning is the day you die pretty much, Correct. isn't it? So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you talked about uh, that your songs these days that you tend to be more outward in the sense of observing the world around you as opposed to inward observing. There's a lot to observe these days. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Is, is, it, is it hard to resist the temptation at this point because there is now so much, There's to, so start, much stuff. to start to go back the other it, way? It, it, all, it all comes back to ourselves, though. We can look outside, and I think that's what my music really underscores is that all you can do is be the best you can be in this world where all kinds of crazy things happen every day. And, and, you know, I've had, I've had my rants about things. I've had maybe a couple political songs. I don't tend to stand on soapboxes because I think there's enough people doing that already. <laughs> That's not really my forte. I'm not meaning to. I surely have my opinions about mm -hmm. how things are going. And, and so does everyone around me, you know, that they say about opinions. And I don't think that is necessarily the place for that's not the place I want to come from with music. I mean, that. I mean, hey, the 60s, you know, I mean, Bob Dylan and all those amazing, you know, John Lennon, they made a movement with their music. Our world will be a different world without them. Absolutely. They shaped, you know, so much of, of, of the country's view, you know, on things. Um, I don't have a calling to shape us politically with music. Mm -hmm. I have a calling to open our eyes and our hearts. That is my calling with my music. I think going inward instead of blaming outward, finding out what's going on with you, being more aware of self, um, having the music pierce something that makes you think in a different way is what I'm going for so that we all can do our inner job and be the better, the best that we can be. Because if, if we can all be the best that we can be, it will be a better world. Well, there's, there's definitely a place for a protest song. There's definitely a place for a feel good song. Correct. So yes, yes. Um, and speaking of songs, I think this would be a good spot to plug in a, another Blazing Kelly tune. If you've got, uh, life is one. beautiful. Or thankful. Ooh. Or keep facing the sun. That's a feel-good <laughs> song. Yeah. I mean, the choice is yours. I mean, I think there is enough. There's always going to be enough negativity out there to, to, to focus on and, and, and make ourselves sick with. I, I think people come to hear music to be 
lifted and to have emotion too. Like if they need to cry, they they need to cry. Um, remember the things that are most important. Exactly. Life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's solid. That's something you can you can hang on to. And everything else that's happening around us, we have no control over, and it can be quite a helpless feeling. And mm-hmm. so, to me, Nicole's music like brings you back home, mm-hmm. yeah. connects you with the things that are most important, and makes you remember friends and families and beautiful memories. Yeah. And well, that sounds like a, a perfect introduction to Life is Beautiful. I was thinking then. Life is Beautiful would be so, fit, perfect there. Mm-hmm. So we'll listen to Life is Beautiful. Circles get closed 
you stand in the middle of your sail. Isn't that beautiful? You see it as beautiful. You know that you're beautiful, and I am beautiful. I'm just beautiful. Life is beautiful. So coming out of that song, when now you you do songs from other artists on occasion as well. What do you look for in those songs when you try to decide? Okay, this this that's is this is a song that's suitable for Blaze and Kelly, or that mm-hmm. we can do justice to, or do a, a good job on. That's a great. Question. Well, I'm just going to say real quick. It's when we start to do our happy dance while we're playing it that we know that's <laughs> a Blaze and Kelly song. <laughs> If it's got is, the energy. Is know? there video of that happy dance? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There's so many. <laughs> There's so many great songs. Um, I, myself, I look for a song. It's got to move me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to move, you know, if I'm going to play it. Or Mo, if she's really feeling it. And we've been getting her more solo songs, which is absolutely thrilling, too. Because I love seeing her take the main line. It's a shift of energy for the audience. I love covers. They're they're a relief for me because it's not all of this. These tunes aren't all out of out of my brain. They're somebody else's, and people are familiar, and it kind of takes the pressure off of being responsible mm-hmm. for their their ride, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I look for I look for songs that will still evoke emotion, like you know, the dance by Garth Brooks, and um, I love Eva, Eva Cathy's version of Fields of Gold. Things that. I know we're going to shine. It's like if we don't offer anything that's unique and and pivotal, it's it's not really worth it. An example, I real and maybe and and maybe I need to go back to the song because I love the song, but we don't do it that much justice. And that's John Lennon's Imagine. I love that song, but you know we've tried it. We've tried time after time. We, you know, we've tried different songs, and we're like, mm-hmm. eh, we love the Wild song, but horses, bad moon rising, oh yeah, but we're things. we're not, we don't bring anything to this. Like mm-hmm. it's not, mm-hmm. it's not just to do a song mm-hmm. because everybody wants it. You know, um, like Brown Eyed Girl. I mean, I don't think we do much for that song, but that's it's fun to play, fun to play. Yeah. and we get something out of it. I get my little guitar thing going on, but. Certain songs, you know, even if they're great and we don't make it, if we can't grab a hold of something that we can sink our teeth into, it's not, 
it, 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 not, it just lands on, we get bored and we're like, oh, this mm-hmm. is just a, you know, a push uphill. Others have caused us to, to really work for it though. Mm-hmm. You know, like Paul Simon's, um, Boxer. the boxer, mm-hmm. we weren't really sure Lynn how. Hallelujah. Oh my We're not going to cover gosh. any of those songs oh, okay. and they're like, you must. Like our rule of thumb is if we get three requests for the same song. We have to look at it. We have to take a look at it. We have to take a look at it. The Blazing Kelly rule. We got so (laughs) many requests for Hallelujah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Everybody, everybody covers that that song. song. And I, you know, and I was frustrated with the song in the beginning. And honestly, I think I went, I went, I when I finally, when I finally downloaded Katie Lang's version, YouTube her, I'm like, oh my, and then I just cried. I was just like, oh my god, no wonder people asking me to cover this song. And it wasn't until I listened to Caden Lang's version that I really got the tune, the weight and the gravity of that mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. And then the the to my horror was, well, how am I even going to get close to this? How am I going to get close to this? And I pecked it out. And I know people that have, I can't tell you how many times people have come up and said, you play my favorite version of that song. And when we were in Ketchum, the most requested song, I think. We were in Ketchum just, you know, a month ago and we had six cameras on us. We had six people in different places and different parties with their little phones that we did not videotaping know. that we did not know. <laughs> and I'm like and I'm like, whoa, this is a trip. Isn't that weird? You're like mm-hmm. a specimen. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we've gotten. I don't think we've gotten three requ- requests for anything. Although we've had one person request the same song three different times. So uh-huh. <laughs> that's that's. I guess our rule of three because we ended up doing it. Mm-hmm. Puff the magic dragon of all things. Oh so, really? Yeah. People love that song. So they I, do. Oh, it brings you back but, to a time. It's funny because you meant you mentioned several songs that we also do like Fields of Gold and, oh, yeah. and the Boxer and. Yeah. Um, you know, we're one of, we're among the 900 million bands that do brown eyed girls. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something about this. Song. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's songs that you can, at least for me that I can kind of get, sink my teeth into and I can, some of them allow me to play with them a little bit and yes. kind of find yes. ways to, to freshen them up a little bit if, if at all possible vocally. A, so. a different version, yeah, a different well, we version. We love to see people tapping their feet and singing along and clapping i mean we love to get people involved as much as possible so it it gives us a little bit of weight off our shoulders to do those classic covers and people do get to sing along it's something familiar well you mentioned tapping your feet which brings me back to the idea of rhythm which brings me back to a question i have on my list here uh, about the five string bass Mm -hmm. that you play how did you gravitate toward five string as opposed to four uh which I, at least I'm more familiar with. That's but. an easy question. Rob Hill, my bass teacher, he double dog dared me to get a five string <laughs> bass. So he loaned me his six string fretless Koa bass. And um, I was very intimidated by the instrument, but also very intrigued. And I loved the deep resonant sound of having those extra low strings. And so um, Carvin was having a sale. And I went ahead and ordered a custom base. Uh, and it sat in its case for about eight months. I'd open it up and I'd that. admire her. And I'd, You're so beautiful. I hope to play you one day. And then Cassie Carvin finally came out of the case permanently. And I've loved her. I mean, I just, it's, it's a challenge to play a fretless, 
definitely while you're singing, you have, you have to look at the neck a lot more than you normally would if you had the frets, but. She's got really good pitch. There's something about her that when I put it on, I just, I don't know, I just really feel the deep resonance of the bass along with the high temporal kind of soprano notes. It's like, it's the perfect combination to have the lows and the highs together and then everything mm -hmm. that Nicole's providing, filling in all those gaps. So. That, that kind of gets, that kind of actually answers part of my question about what what it was about that fifth string that's so attractive. But now I have to ask this. It your is. bass has a name. Do your other instruments have names oh, yeah, as well? Oh, yeah. Names. They're all named. Mm -hmm. I, all of them, every single one. Yeah, I play with um, Georgia mostly now. I used to play with Laverne. I have a, <laughs> they're Larave, a Larave guitar. It was Both of my guitars that I show with, I have several, but both of those ones that are my show axes are from a Canadian built guitar. And now they're, now they're made in us. But when I bought them, they were Canadian made guitar and Laverne. It was my known for their cutaways. Yes. Yeah. A, a cutaway, uh, acoustic Beautiful. concert style, a lot of embroidery, like Inlays, engraving inlays and uber and dressy, yeah. uber intimidating when I got it back in like 2000. I think that's when I got it's Laverne. Like the vision of what we would hope to step into. Right. You, know? you got to act as if to create the manifestation of what Yeah, you she want. scared me to death like you. <laughs> I looked at the I looked at it in the case for a couple months and was like, "Yeah, ah. I brought both bases for like a year, but yeah. you know, and I had to switch between the two until I got really comfortable with the five string, but having that that low B string, you know, you don't have to move along the fretboard as much. You can be kind of lazy, which is kind of my modus operandi as a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> nice and lazy, just kind of in the pocket. What's your What's your little red name? Her what's, name's Ruby. Oh, Ruby. That's yeah. right, Ruby. Yeah, that was the first. Ruby was first a great bass. bass. I ever started out on little Ibanez, and sounds great. That's a great bass. I yeah, love it was that a gift. little bass. It was a gift from her um, uh, former guitar player, yeah, uh, Timmy Tim Doherty. Yeah. After yeah. I got the mic stand and the mic, then I got the bass. Yeah. And it's like, well, I kind of see things unfolding naturally here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So for people who don't understand, and I, I know that they're out there because I, I've heard people talk, what is it about, what is the attraction, or what do you get out of having the multiple guitars? Because I know some people think, well, one should be enough. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it isn't a, for us either, but you, know, you don't like just one kind of wine. You might have several <laughs> or five wines that that's you enjoy. That's a great question. That's a, here's the difference. I could go, I could go over to Guitar Center, let's say, or go. Actually, I love going to those really um, those other kinds of guitar stores. You know, like in Seattle, that mm -hmm. there are all kinds of unique guitars. Here's the great thing. I have a breed love. Um, and, and I, I, I remember this is, this is a perfect example. I went to, um, Newport, Oregon and I saw this breed love and it has a hole in a precarious place. It has its sound hole in the front, mm -hmm. but it has a listener's hole right, right up top. Right. And so I sat down and played that one. Oh my God. I loved the tone of this. And I immediately felt my muse come up every instrument has a different muse so if i sat and played your guitar let's just say the resonance of your unique guitar would invoke some sort of muse for me and it and if i get that 
I want to keep that. Like her guitar, she's got Gabby Gibson. Mm-hmm. And when we first met, she pulled out this Gibson that blew my doors off. It has such a low, rich, juicy bottom end. I'm like, oh my God. I wrote probably at like three quarters of my second CD on her guitar. So it it has its own vibe. Its own vibe mm-hmm. will come from a different instrument. Interesting. And it makes you, it muses you towards what it wants to create. It's the coolest thing. I, I love a lot of guitars. Yeah. I'm all about it. Yes, she does. <laughs> I can't get one more though. I was gonna say, I, I, I have I, enough I, closet space. Anytime we pass through, oh, music store, let's stop there. It's like, rat row. I was going to say, I, I think my guitar would appreciate having somebody who knows what they're doing play it. It just appreciates being played. Yeah, you're just going to keep playing it. It hasn't been yeah. appreciated much in the last week. It needs to be appreciated. So <laughs> Now, you both, you play a lot in the Boise area, but you also do a lot of touring. We do. Um, yeah. Do you have favorite areas or locations that uh well, We're heading there real quick. I love Oregon. We love Oregon. Oregon's, Oregon's been kind to us. Favorite state to tour. We're heading there next week. concerts. So you're, you're in this home environment. Mm-hmm maybe 70 people there, super intimate. Everybody's connected. You aren't playing a three hour set. You're playing a 50 minute set, taking a lovely 20 minute break, coming back for 45. It's just a really good feel, good experience. And, um, we of course enjoy being along the Oregon coast. It's one of our favorite places to visit. So, Mm -hmm. but Washington, Wyoming, all of Idaho, they've all been very kind. We had a very successful tour of both Northern and Southern California last May for about mm-hmm. three and a half we- weeks. And um, we've left over to New Jersey and went up that coast. Yeah, we've done the a few years back too. The That's Women's just, Week at Provincetown. Just a lot of logistics when you jump coastlines. Mm-hmm. You know, I get I, my hats off to all these people that are self-employed musicians that just run around in their cars and. I'm not as young as I used to be. I mean, I'd, I'd love to have the energy to do all that. And there'll be day that we will plan something again for those types of things. We have some cool little things in store. But, wow, I, I see some of my colleagues back and forth to Missouri, to Texas, to Minneapolis, to, you know. And that would be grand. I would not not want to do it. But that's also a lot of well, energy. You know, exactly. And touring even the Northwest, you might travel 14 hours, right? right. To get mm-hmm. to your gig up in the Olympias in Washington. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, then we try to just book two or three gigs solid and then have a week off so we can explore the area. And that kind of balances things out a little bit. Are house concerts your favorite kind of mm-hmm. I think venue? so. Yeah. I mean... You know what my favorite experience is, is when the pressure is not on. Like I like, I like playing when everybody's wagging their tails and happy and they're, the minute, if I have a, if I have a venue owner that's like, chop, chop girls, we need to play, blah, blah, blah. You know, if I have somebody with that kind of energy, I just don't do well. I do really well with Everything's less, less, less focus. Everyone's relaxed. Less nerves. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've played big theater shows. Some of them have been great, but they also can be kind of horrifying too. You're like, ah, you can't see the audience. Those are, I, I, that is really a bugger for me. I like to be able to see people's Mm -hmm. eyes. Mm -hmm. And when, when the spotlight hits you and you, 
you're on the spotlight, literally, and you're a spectacle, and it can be quite intimidating, even though I blast right through that intimidation, so it's so it seems my insides can be like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it because I I need the people's feedback, and I can see it in their faces, and sometimes you can hear them clap, but if you just have a black, you know, a it's blackened out a audience. Level of disconnect when you can't see your audience. So, so the big theater show. I can tell, like, even when we played up in Ketchum last weekend, it was just grooving. You know, I mean, like, they dug it. I could, you could feel, I like when our music is well fit and well matched. I don't want to waste my time trying to play uh, the ranch club when it's just Mo and I on a weekend and trying to get everybody up and dancing. We're, we're not that kind of group. I mean, if we, if we, Grab some band members, sure we can, we can giddy up and dance. But that's that's not that's not what we're the best at. Let's just put mm-hmm. it that way, you know. So you've you've kind of touched on this, I think. But I'm uh, I'll ask it in case there's there's more to flesh it out. You guys have been doing this for a while. How mm-hmm. do you manage to keep it fresh and enjoyable for for you? Because it has to start, if it's not enjoyable for you, it's not going to be enjoyable for the audience, That's probably. That's correct. That's correct. And I've had my bouts of a little crunchy it's burnout. It's a challenge. I it have. It's a challenge. Um, fresh in this business. Yeah. What is it that we do that keeps it <laughs> A lot of Epsom salt baths. <laughs> we um, we use we essential take oils. Take care of ourselves. <laughs> we do. Um, we try to eat well. Uh, we try to do things for fun spontaneously. Those at least basic once or things. twice a week, just you know, to keep it fresh, because it can, it can overwhelm you, and it, it can be. You don't want it to ever feel like a job. Like we always say, at this point in this career, mm-hmm. we get the privilege of going and playing this venue instead of oh my god, oh, I'm so we, tired, I have to play. It's like right, no, this we is an get honor to. Mm-hmm. and a privilege that we get to play, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that we are blessed to have a fan base. Show up. We've been doing this for 16 years in this town. I got, this is what, I think this is what's helped us. 2013, we took a trip right in the middle of our high season. We went to Hawaii. It was just like, we're leaving for Hawaii for one of my friend's 60th birthdays. And in the middle of our, we, what are we, crazy? This is crazy. But it, it that opened the door for us to say this is where we want our lives to be able to be because if you're just working your tail off and not enjoying it you're missing the mark you know and so from since 2013 we realized we weren't going to die we weren't going to starve people people weren't going to forget about us all these things that go through (laughs) a musician's mind we're not gonna you know the venues aren't gonna dry up we we realize Mm -hmm. that there's no scarcity that needs to happen here you don't have to grab every gig so we started saying no to a lot of things we started saying no no no, i'm not gonna play a chewing venue where people people are chomping down pizza and not really paying attention and getting stupid drunk and that's not going to fill us outside in 170 you know or, or that fries our pa oh my gosh yeah, you know i mean kind of those kinds of we've we've balanced the what's the return where how much love is there in that venue like if, if there's love there we'll go there we we have a motto that says go where the love is and mm-hmm. Edith Bacall's song we sing that and it, there's nothing more truthful than that and i think that has been one of the bigger 
things that have kept us out of the burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing things. We're playing shows that are filling us. We don't mess around it. with the exactly. monkey shows that mm-hmm. don't fill us, don't pay us, and they want more. Mm-hmm. That's for some other young pup to figure out. And I know I sound kind of snotty about it, but it's like everybody's got to cut their teeth. And we spent years and years. Hey, man, we played at the Charlie house for the first Six months we landed in Boise. It was a great experience. We needed that. We always joke and, we got our start at the trolley yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Boise. who, who, no, there was no music at the trolley house when we came. We made that, we made that happen. And whenever time we drive by, we have sweet memories. We have some of our biggest fan base from that place that mm-hmm. had been with us through and through and watched her go from a singing musician only to a four string to a, Five string fretless, like they've been able to watch the growth on Blaze and Kelly. I mean, and they're still showing up, and they're still showing up. I bless those beautiful souls. But so that's a piece of how we stay around around the, you know, um, how we keep the joy in the ride. Actually, and that's that's been the latest album that we created. This little EP, keeping the joy in the ride, is is you know, uber, uber important um, in anything that you're embarking upon. You mentioned the EP, and that actually brings me to the next question I had. Uh, you did that earlier this year yeah. for, for your fans, and, and you have a, a very loyal and very connected fan base. Is Are there plans either developed or beginning stages for, for another, for a, a newer full-length CD? You or? know, this is what's funny is that I said this just we, we every year we do a little retreat. I'm going to start calling it the Blaze and Kelly retreat at Miracle Hot Springs, and we do a show at the Dome there, completely unplugged except for your bass amp. Yeah, the acoustics and are the, amazing. The acoustics are amazing, and I I was putting all the CDs in a silver box, and we have we have like five big albums and four little ones, and I so it's nine completely together. And and um, I said, you know, if I never write another song or make another album, I'm good. Cause look at all these <laughs> albums. You start to you make so many. You don't. I I don't even put the first two in the silver box half the time anymore. They just don't fit, you know. And then all people people are really going away from CDs and into these download mechanisms, which is a whole nother rant we could go on to, but. That being said, I will create songs as I feel they need to come out of me because it's what I I want to do. Whether another C, I, I'm sure there'll be another record. I'm sure there'll be another CD because I'm old school and like to be able to give the gift of music physically. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of saying here's this link, there's just no charm in that. It's like the difference between a writing, card. You, right, right, <laughs> between between, and we have those, but it's like ugh. it's the difference between giving somebody a Christmas card and then or or sending them an email of Merry Christmas, you know, to thousands of people. There's a personal touch with a CD, and I and I still enjoy putting the packaging together, making mm-hmm. it, tying it all together. You know, um, that still matters to me. Well, it is an interesting time in the music industry because I've had some other younger songwriters who've talked about how they want to just keep churning out singles and singles and singles and have mm-hmm. stuff for people to download. And 
Yeah, and then I, I, I then I talked to another songwriter mm-hmm. who's getting ready to release a, a new CD, a concept album. So, oh, mm-hmm. you, you can't really do that with singles. You can, you, and and <laughs> all no, you cannot. And you know, That's all true. of my albums are kind of concept mm-hmm. albums. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like even if the, even the titles, the first three titles of my albums are a concept in and of themselves. It's despite the dance, smile, life is beautiful. Like there's three kind of concept album to a degree. I mean, depends on what you want to define a concept. But that is like a trilogy, that package. And I'm I'm very proud of it because I think that that didn't happen by accident. I think that's the divine thing that came down. I don't take the credit for it, not in that regard. I'm saying that Mm -hmm. that happened so serendipitously. It's not serendipitous. It, It meant to be that way. And um. The download thing is just, I understand the convenience of it. I love the convenience of music, but it can be very impersonal and it can very, and it really can saturate and people stop connecting a human being to the music anymore. It's like a computer spit out, you know? And then you might get a half a cent on each download, right? True. Well, it takes out the investment (laughs) both in terms of financial, but also in terms of that, that tactic, tactical, that tactical thing, tactile connection. Yes. And I'm between a, them and the music. And I'm a dinosaur probably in the industry because I'm spending a lot of money to create that physical thing. And, you know, you, this industry where you need to be on all these playlists in order to make $10 if you sell if you sell like 3000 downloads you can make $10 like that's crazy and and a lot of kids are all about that because that's their that's their generation you know i still value um selling an actual piece of merchandise when you're because here's the thing mm-hmm. you can say i'm never going to make a cd i'm just going to do singles and they can get it off the website it really takes a lot for somebody who's just watched your show and they've been moved. They have to really love you to go back on their computer and remember you when they get home and find your website or find their place and get, you know, they, they have to remember that and then you get zero. If if we have a house concert and, you know, 60 people are there and we unload 30 discs, it's usually because we've made an emotional impact to those people and they want to take a little piece of you home. And they want to take a little piece of you home right now. The only problem with it now is technology is getting so warped is that they have no place to play those CDs. Mm-hmm. That is that is yeah. the conundrum that we're all undergoing. The rediscovery of vinyl, I guess. That's mm-hmm. what I've said. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank both of you for, for sitting down. And, and before we uh, maybe play one more song, you, final thoughts that, do you guys have anything that uh, we haven't touched on? No, I, I loved your questions. They were very thoughtful. and um, Yeah, you're a wonderful interview. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. thoughtful. Um, Thanks, Walt. Well, thank I'll you. probably think of something later, but hey. <laughs> and then I think, like, kind of currently, a quintessential Blazing Kelly song is the song Thankful. And I think it's a song that the whole world kind of needs to get connected with right now because people are feeling really um, disempowered and frustrated and are missing that sense of connection and community. And this song in particular that she writes thankful kind of gets you back in touch with the things that we're grateful for. 
and it's different for everybody, but it still has that same underlying theme. It's like what connects you to what's the best part of this existence. And with that, we will close with thankful. Thank you so much. Thank you.
My thanks to Blaze and Kelly. You'll find links to their website as well as their Facebook page on our blog page at measured-voices.blogspot.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Measured Voices. Next time out, a conversation with Naomi Song. Until then, I'm Walt Huntsman. Thanks for listening.